Good morning, everyone, and welcome to the 16th episode of Heavier Than I Look, a podcast dedicated to healing, recovery, and storytelling. My name is Kira Rousseau, and I am your host. If you feel listening may aggravate your suffering or complicate your recovery, please take this notice as a trigger warning. Discuss with your support system as necessary, and as always, take what you need and leave what you don't. Today's episode is dedicated to all of those who have been discouraged, disbelieved, or invalidated when sharing their story, especially if that disregard was prompted because of a reductive image of who is affected by eating disorders. Know that I hear you. This space is yours as much as it is mine. A special thanks to one of HTIL's cherished listeners for suggesting this episode topic. We've discussed in depth the danger inherent in the single story of eating disorders, both in Episode 5, Culture as an Ideological Factor in Eating Disorders, and Episode 15, Race-Based Stereotypes in Eating Disorder Diagnosis and Treatment. But we've not spent much time discussing how eating disorders may manifest in midlife and beyond. The eating disorder symptomology generally remains the same across all ages, but how an eating disorder is experienced discovered, and cared for differs. In fact, eating disorders in midlife can present their own heightened dangers, depending on the physical condition of the body being affected. In midlife and beyond, the body is increasingly inflexible when facing physical damage and is more prone to injury and illness than in adolescence. Reducing the negative impact an eating disorder may produce is imperative in ensuring the survival of one who is struggling. Which is why this episode is meant to expand our definition of eating disorders to become more inclusive, informed, and accessible. Midlife is the transitional time between young adulthood and old age. On a broad spectrum, midlife is considered to be between the ages of 35 and 65. Of those struggling with an eating disorder in midlife, they are generally understood to be in one of three categories. Those who have struggled with an eating disorder for years without seeking treatment, and this is thought to be the dominant subtype of the population of eating disorders in midlife. Those who had an eating disorder as a teen or young adult and recovered only to relapse in midlife and this relapse can be triggered by the changes in transitional life events that may occur in midlife. And then finally, those who develop an eating disorder for the first time in midlife. All of these populations may be triggered by several causes, including, but not limited to, number one, periods of reproductive hormone change. For example, many women in midlife experience extreme hormone fluctuation in perimenopause, and or further hormonal or physical changes during menopause. Similar to puberty, these times present a window of vulnerability, which may cause a reemergence or introduction to disordered eating behavior, as the individual's conception of womanhood is likely altered. Number two, age-related body changes, which are often perceived as negative or a heightened awareness of these bodily changes leaving youth in the ensuing exemplar of beauty carried with it, many can feel the pressures and dissatisfaction associated with aging. 
body changes may take the form of, quote, increased body fat, reduced skin firmness, fat redistribution, and decreased metabolism, end quote. All may lead to unhealthy eating habits to combat the stress of such change, dramatic or not, and or to compensate for the perceived negative change. Number three, relationship changes, such as divorce. Number four, pregnancy, parenting, and or infertility. Number five, death and grieving of a loved one. Number six, retirement or or employment adjustments. Number seven, the empty nest syndrome, where parents experience sadness or loss when their child finds independence. Number eight, financial strain. Number nine, increased susceptibility to illness. And number 10, changing familial dynamics, such as becoming the caretakers for elderly parents later in life. All of these stressors, either solely presenting or in some kind of combination, may contribute to an emergence, relapse, or worsening of an eating disorder. Unfortunately, eating disorders in midlife pose incredible risk for those who are struggling, as the toll that eating disorders take on the body becomes more apparent with age. This research is further convoluted because of the link between eating disorders and mortality, which may not be accounted for in full. One might face, during or post an eating disorder, heart problems such as arrhythmias, heart disease, and heart failure, hormone disruption, which can affect the reproductive cycle, digestive issues such as gastroesophageal reflux disease, or GERD, or slow stomach emptying, weakening and brittle bones or osteoporosis, electrolyte abnormalities, increased risk of high blood pressure, increased risk of diabetes, anemia, problems with cognitive functioning, kidney issues, tooth decay or breakage, and gum disease. Many of the issues featured above, such as the disruption of heart function, diminishing cognitive function, or osteoporosis, may overshadow the incidence of eating disorders, which makes detection and identification of a potential eating issue much more difficult. These resulting dangers, however, can stem from and be aggravated by eating disorders and disordered eating. As we already know, eating disorders are underdiagnosed and often live in silence and shame. This becomes even more heightened when looking through the lens of midlife and beyond. The research available and done for those with eating disorders at midlife is virtually non-existent when compared to what is available for younger patients. The limited research shows that 13% of women in midlife have detectable and diagnosable eating disorders, with 60% reporting that their body image has a negative impact on their life, and finally 70% reporting an effort to lose weight. Research also demonstrates that anorexia rates typically plateau around age 26, binge eating rates at age 47, and purging may last into a woman's 70s. Further, women in midlife are most likely to be diagnosed as having offset, other specified feeding and eating disorders. This designation is considered a catch-all definition for those individuals who may not meet rigid diagnostic criteria for disordered eating, yet must not be trivialized or underestimated because of its life-threatening tendencies. Offset is followed by BED, binge eating disorder, 
bulimia, and anorexia with regard to incidence levels. Women who experience eating disorders in midlife are diagnosed with offset because typically their symptomology has varied over the course of their illness, which sometimes spans the majority of their lifetime. Quote, For instance, a woman who has suffered from anorexia and considers herself improved, stabilized, or even recovered might later find herself engaging in other symptoms, such as binging or purging, although not meeting the full criteria for bulimia. Even in cases where symptoms might be considered subclinical, these can lead to the same and sometimes greater physical and psychological consequences as the recognized diagnoses, end quote. As mentioned in today's dedication, all those who have been discouraged, disbelieved, or invalidated when sharing their story, or might be considered subclinical or not medically compromised, know that your pain is still valid. Others can't feel your pain for you, and thus others can't dictate what that pain feels like or if it's valid. If you decide to claim your suffering and this choice falls on deaf ears, use this moment as a reminder that your pain is validated and that it is yours. We all must fiercely protect our own healing. It is important to note that very little is known about the prevalence of midlife eating disorders in men because they, ne- they are neglected among the populations studied, diagnosed, and treated. The United States National Comorbidity Survey of 45 to 59-year-old men says that 1.3% struggle with bulimia and 27 struggle with BED. Muscle dysmorphia, characterized by a preoccupation with muscle development, And excessive exercise tend to be more common than the restrictive subtype of anorexia among middle-aged men. Yet it does not explain away all incidences of anorexia. There's more to be discussed on the intersection between males and eating disorders in the future, so stay tuned. Considering the age-related barriers and shame and stigma surrounding eating disorders, especially of those in midlife, the notion that treatment is inaccessible can be internalized and confirmed in a medical context. Quote, Secrecy and shame often accompany these disorders, and women may not seek help, particularly if they fear being forced to gain unwanted weight or stigmatized as having a teenager's disease. End quote. Further, as weight gain and changed body composition exist as one of the symptoms of an increasing age, medical providers may not detect an eating disorder or disordered eating as promptly as they might otherwise because of our cultural loyalty to the idea of eating disorders only existing in thin, young bodies. Quote, The vast majority of patients with eating disorders do not live in visually emaciated bodies, which means, unfortunately, that many of those with eating disorders who are in larger bodies are actually advised by their physician to restrict calories and lose weight. This puts a serious chilling effect on appropriate diagnosis and referral to specialists. End quote. One of the main themes of this podcast is giving a voice to every story. And these stories may exist within the young and the old, within smaller and larger bodies, regardless of race or gender, or identity. Each story is important, and every story matters. 
These stories don't become stories with a medical diagnosis or a designated weight loss or tangible physical complications or familial validation or a hospital visit. They become stories when they are shared, when they are voiced, when they drain the power away from the eating disorder and into the person. They become stories because they are a reflection of the human beings who hold them. I hopefully give a positive example of the meaning and power of such stories. I encourage these stories to be shared as it requires an active intention to heal. In my eyes, stories are the pathway to healing. They shape how we come to know ourselves and generate meaning for our lives. With today's episode in mind, don't let a number dictate the stories you tell or the truths you hold. A number is a value, but it does not dictate yours. If you would like to learn more about what sources I used in the discussion of eating disorders in midlife, my citations will be placed in the show notes. Next week, HTIL will discuss the life of musician Karen Carpenter, whose own anorexia prompted a cultural revival of the discussion of eating disorders. I will analyze Todd Haynes' film entitled Superstar, The Karen Carpenter Story and its portrayal of Carpenter's struggles and untimely death. Listen on Friday morning at 9 a.m. Eastern. All new episodes of HTIL will be uploaded to Podbean, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts by 11.59 p.m. each Sunday night. If you missed the live broadcast, feel free to return to old episodes by visiting these sites. If you would like to listen to my own story of anorexia, binge eating, and body dysmorphia, you can listen on any of these platforms. Please consider sharing the podcast with family, friends, or those who you feel could specifically benefit. If you or someone you love might be struggling with an eating disorder, know that you have my full support in recovery and consider seeking treatment. If you feel treatment may be inaccessible to you, please consider seeking support through Project HEAL, which is the largest nonprofit in the United States delivering prevention, treatment financing, and recovery support for those struggling with eating disorders. Disordered eating has ruled my life for nearly six years, and I didn't think anything would ever be able to come in between that. Treatment did and treatment does. If you are in a crisis situation, please contact NEDA's helpline by texting NEDA to 741741. HTIL has its very own Instagram and Twitter account, so if you would like to suggest your own episode topic, as today's episode topic was, or if you would like to interact with the podcast further, please feel free to follow on Instagram at Heavier Than I Look and Twitter at HTIL Podcast. If you are interested in sharing your own story as a feature on the show, please direct message me on Instagram or Twitter. Don't be afraid to reach out. I would love to hear from you. My podcast, Heavier Than I Look, aims to empower survivors, educate listeners, and foster conversations surrounding eating disorders and body dysmorphia. Eating disorders demand silence, yet this podcast is an attempt to de-isolate and destigmatize a survivor's experience by giving a voice to each story. We must abandon a quantitative numerical definition of identity 
and reclaim our self-definition to exist beyond the numbers that rule our lives. In this way, HTIL is a space of healing, recovery, and storytelling. Let us no longer wonder how little space we can comprise, but instead wonder how to make that space one filled with love and sympathy. Goodbye for now.